This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. If you need a Bible, raise your hand so we can get you one, and we would like for you to follow along this morning with us. We're in Matthew chapter 24, which is one of the most controversial chapters in the Gospel of Matthew. Everybody has their own opinion. I just want you to know that I also have an opinion, and it's right, so you guys are in good company this morning. I, too, have the Holy Spirit, but whatever the case may be... There are certain things that God leaves vague because He wants them vague. And then there's people who make it their job to figure out it has to be black and white. We've got to have it down to the, this is what's going to happen. You know, there's ministries out there who have, you know, there's the seven thunders of Revelation. And God says, seal up the seven thunders. Don't say what they said. And there's people who said, we figured out what the seven, you're not supposed to. No, you didn't figure it out. If God's veiled it, then then it's veiled. You haven't figured it out. And there's some things that we, it's okay for us to be, you know, I don't know. God knows. He gives us an abundance of information. He gives us a lot of instruction. So take the things that we do know and meditate on those things. Consider those things. Here in... Matthew chapter 24, I entitled the message, Signs of the Times. And this is something that, you know, people are really talking about right now. I have to get this little rant off my chest before we get into the Word. So, (sighs) I was born 1981. Yeah, I know y'all are... Don't be too shocked. I'm pretty young. Okay. Since I was born, there has been no shortage in any amount of time since 1981 to 2020 of people predicting or saying that the world is coming to an end. And I don't know why, but 81 right after that, 85, and then there was people even in the Calvary Chapel movement that said the end of the world was going to happen in the late 80s, and then in the 90s, there's Nostradamus, if you guys remember, California was going to fall off into the ocean, Pahrump was going to have beachfront property, there were people buying up land out there for that, and then after that, it was Y2K, and then 9-11, and then this, and, and every couple, a blood moon, it's... It's always, it's been the end of the year for 38 years. So when stuff like this happens and I'm forced to ask myself questions or somebody asks me a question, I have to pump the brakes a little bit and not say he's delayed his coming, but say this is a human response to difficulty and just because difficult things are happening doesn't mean it's the end of the world. In fact, I kind of like that like as a, my subtitle for today's message. You know, have you ever said that to somebody? Eh, it's not the end of the world. Well, everybody has opinions. 
and they're like armpits, I'm sure. But my opinion, according to Matthew chapter 24, and I'll qualify this this morning together with us, it's not the end of the world. Bad things are happening. It's getting difficult. We have scriptural proof that Jesus gave us instructions to the letter of what to look for. And these things are just birth pangs. These are the early things that we're going to be looking at. Let's open with the first couple verses in chapter 24, and then we'll lift up this time in prayer. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to show him the buildings of the temple. Now, two things happen here. First of all, it says that Jesus left the temple. Jesus has left the building. He's gone. And this isn't just a, this isn't just a Jesus is done for the day and he's leaving. It's a he's been ministering to the Sadducees and Pharisees. He's been preaching. Remember two weeks ago when I got to yell at you guys for 45 minutes? Whoa, Pharisees and Sadducees and, and hypocrites. He's, he's had a, a ministry of, of revelation to them. And now that is coming to an end, and this isn't a Jesus leaves for the day. Jesus is done at the temple, and he's leaving, moving on to the latter part of his ministry, which the focus is going to be on his disciples and preparing them for the things that they're going to go through in the future. See, everything that you go through in whatever season you find yourself in right now is a preparation for the next season. And sometimes you can get stuck in that, but, but God's intention is, for such a time as this, you are placed where you're at, your friends, your family, your co-workers for such a time as this, and He's preparing you for ministry, for what He's called you to, and for unto the next season of your life. So first of all, he leaves the temple. He focuses on his disciples to pour more into them for the latter part of his ministry. And then it says that, note this, this is our key word in our subpoint for this morning. His disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple, to show Jesus, look. Now this is going to be a theme, and Jesus is going to flip this on his head. And he says in, in the next part of the, in verse 2, Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? They say, look, look, Jesus, see the temple and the buildings. And he says, no, you see. Because the world has the wrong perspective when it comes to the things that God wants us to focus on versus what they're focusing on. I don't know why it took so long, but just the other day I was reading a report of a catastrophe uh, and it's not necessary to really bring up specifics, but there's crazy stuff happening all over the world. Do you know that? Famines and pestilence and pandemic and explosions and wars and rumors, and it's crazy. It's all over the world. And there was this one particular thing that happened, and I noticed that this is a trend. Every time I read a story about something happening, they have something connected to it right after they say what happened. Do you guys follow with me? Does anybody know what the next thing every single time is? Such and such happened, and it's going to cost $500 billion. Everything has a price tag. Everything has value in the eyes of the world. And they say, this is worth $50 billion. That's worth $200 billion. This is going to cost a trillion. Because the world is always focused on what it values. Now, I'm not saying that, that there's anything any necessary to go deeper than that. But the world's focus is on the value. And Jesus' disciples said, look at the temple. The temple was took 80 years to 
to build. It was only completed for seven years before it was destroyed and demolished. It was so magnificent that people would swear by it. And they thought nobody would take this down. It was overlaid, parts of it, in gold, in in sheer gold. And when the sun would shine on it, and if it reflected in your eyes, they said it would blind you. So beautiful. And the disciples, look at that. And the world is so captivated by the things it values. Look at this. Look at that. How can we protect this? We need to rebuild that. And Jesus' response is, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Could you imagine the excitement of the disciples pointing Jesus to the glory of the temple and his response being, oh yeah, I see it. Do you see it? Do you not see this wealth? Not one stone is going to be left on another. And many people would have argued with him at the time. They said, Jesus, even if, even if the worst of the worst happened and the Romans came and sacked Jerusalem, surely they would preserve one of the seven wonders of the world, right? Well, maybe they would have if not a group of Jewish rebels ran into the temple to protect themselves while it was under siege and a drunken Roman soldier burned it down. And then it melted all the gold into the creases and the crevices between the rocks. And and the, the Roman general said, tear it down, get every ounce of gold out of that temple. And they took every stone and threw it down to where you can go to Jerusalem now and you can see the glory of the Temple Mount and how, how Herod the Great built it up and made this great platform, and, and there's nothing to be seen of the glory of the second temple. Jesus says the things that you value are not the things that are important. Why did they take such pay such attention to the glory of the temple and its buildings and ask Jesus to look? Well, that was their inheritance, right? I mean, if they were going to rule and reign with Jesus, they would be the authority there at the temple. Oh, man, this is going to be great. Jesus is the Messiah. We all agree pretty soon he's going to come into his kingdom. And this glory, and and kind of what they were saying, I don't want to put in too much, but this glory, this is our glory. And Jesus says, not one stone will remain. Let's pray and then we'll jump into verse 3. Father, we thank you that you don't judge by appearance. You don't see if somebody's tall or short or skinny or fat or healthy or sick. or God, you see the heart. You know our hearts. You speak to our hearts. You don't speak to our position. Maybe our position in Christ, but you, but you speak to us where we're at, what we need to hear. And Father, we pray that you would speak to your people this morning through Matthew chapter 24. We pray, God, that you'd give us discernment that's unprecedented, that's separate from what this world calls wisdom. The the wisdom of your Holy Spirit, that we would walk in that discernment, that you would be glorified, and that it would be true when we say from from the bottoms of our hearts, thy kingdom come, 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you for your word and that it's blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we have three questions that we're going to cover in Matthew chapter 24 this morning that they ask Jesus. We're going to look at them now. Some Bible teachers and scholars say that, that it's two questions. Some say that it's three. We're going to go down the right path of three, and I'll explain them to you as we go. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, they're a little distressed, right? Tell us, when will these things be? Question number one. And what will be the sign of your coming? Question number two. And the end of the age, question number three. Now, the second and third question, some people, do they put that together, but it is distinctly different. We'll see as we go through the text, and Jesus answers in this order. He answers of when these things will be and what will be the sign of his coming and the end of the age. So that's the three things we're going to look at. We're going to follow along, and then we'll wrap up with our our final points in the end. Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. I've made it a practice in the Bible when I'm reading the Bible, and I would encourage you to do the same. Whenever I've run across the word deceive, don't be deceived, I've circled it. You know why? (laughs) There's a lot of deception out there. And this isn't even just talking about deception in the world. This is talking about Jesus to his disciples. Be careful. Don't be deceived. Something I share very regularly. One of my life verses, do not be deceived. Don't be tricked. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever somebody sows, they will also reap. If you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. If you sow to the, the, the spirit, you'll reap life. And do not grow weary in doing good, for you shall receive. If You shall reap if you do not lose hearts. Some people think in their deceived state that they can do whatever they want to do but not reap the consequences. That's being deceived by the enemy. And it goes back to the Garden of Eden where deception was what caused disobedience in the children of God in the Garden. And this is the first thing that he says to his disciples. We should take note of it. Take heed that no one deceives you. You know, everybody has an opinion right now about what's going on in the world. Everybody. And they're yelling about it and screaming about it. God bless me with a big mouth, and I can yell louder than most people. When my kids were crying in the car, sometimes I'd cry louder, and they'd stop crying. Because I'm like, if you want a competition, I'm going to win, baby. Literal baby. How do you like it? You think it's pleasant to hear somebody? For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. Underline that in your Bible. You will have wars and rumors of wars. And there's going to be difficulty and calamity. Do not be troubled. This is Jesus' word to his disciples. This is Jesus' word to his church. But let's go further. Do not be troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Will you say with me, the end is not yet? 
Thank you. That was super quick. The end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. It's incredible to me that every time some calamity happens, you have people screaming, losing their minds, the end of the world. And even if the moon's a different color, it's the end of the world. It's the end of the world. Listen, you can say scriptural proof by Jesus in Matthew chapter 24. You can say, Jesus said, it's not the end of the world. Really? Can I be confident? Yeah, because the signs that we're going to look at are more distinct, are more specific, then it's tough. Then there's tribulation. You guys want to read that list again? Wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. Famines, pestilences, earthquakes. But the end is not yet. These are but the beginning of sorrows. Jesus gives us a time frame. He says, from right now, when I leave, until the actual end of days, these are all of the things that are going to take place, that are going to transpire. There's going to be pestilence, there's going to be pandemic, there's going to be wars. From this time now to when I'm talking to you, until the end of the age, there's going to be famines and earthquakes, and there's going to be all kinds of stuff. But just remember this, every time that stuff starts to happen, it's not yet the end of the world. So if somebody comes to you and says, this is the end. no, Jesus said that it's not the end of the world. It's the beginning, and we're going to get there, but right now it's not the end, okay? And you can take confidence in that because Jesus says, see that you are not troubled. You, church, have been given a torch, a light. You have been given the opportunity to bring hope and expectation in God's goodness to the world. And you can use verses like these to say, guys, it's not the end yet. I've been saying this for the last five, six months. Guys, And this, oh, this is the judgment on America. I'm this happening to the whole world, guys. It's happening to the whole world. So, you know, America's great and all, but like everybody's going through crazy stuff all over the world. Famines. You guys see the, the hurricane, uh, hurricane? Hur hurricane force winds in the Mideast that flatten hundreds of thousands of acres of crops? But the end is not yet. Why am I emphasizing this so much? Because the enemy wants to creep in and deceive us into thinking that our salvation can come from somewhere else. Panic mode, self-preservation, what can save me? I got guns, I got ammo, let them come to my neighborhood. Nothing's going to save you except Jesus, the Son of God, and His timing is perfect when it comes to the end. I'm not being general. We're going to get even more specific, but this is the framework. This is the groundwork that we start on. All these are the beginning of sorrows. I also like how Jesus uses a woman in labor as an illustration of the end coming. How many of you guys have been had a baby before? None of you guys should raise your hand. How many ladies? Because I'll kick you out right now. You know how it is where it starts subtly and, and then it starts to grow and then they get stronger. I've not been in labor, but I have been through labor five times and it freaks me out every time. 
and stronger and stronger until you know when it's time to push, the baby's coming. Jesus says this is how it's going to be. There's going to be birth pangs. It's going to get harder and harder and harder. And there's going to be seasons of difficulty, and then it kind of gets a little easier, and then it's going to get difficult again. But you're going to know when it's time to push that it's coming. It's soon. It's now. So he says, those other things, those are just the beginning of sorrows. Those are not the end. Don't focus on that. I don't want you to be worried about it. Don't be troubled. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't, don't worry about that stuff. Pandemic, pff, nothing. Nothing for me. Don't worry about it. The end has not yet come. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate each other. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. This is what Jesus does. He couples this second degree of difficulty, if you will, with the first. What was the first? Pestilence, world trouble, earthquakes, all of those things. And then he moves on to the, the personal believer's life, and he says, then they're going to come after you, and they're going to throw you in jail, and they're going to kill you. And it's still not yet the end. It's a birth pang. It's, it's a getting there, but he, he connects that with, with don't be troubled, don't be worried, it's not yet the end, but after those things is when the end is going to come. Have, have you guys been persecuted before? Persecution is rough. I've been on these Facebook threads going back and forth with people. Man, people are persecuting me. I'm just kidding. I don't do that stuff. I'm like, man, 250 replies? Hey, nobody got time for that. You guys are crazy. Um, the, 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 the end is still yet to come. It's, it's not the end of the world. But then, after the gospel is preached to all the world, as a witness to all the nations, then the end will come. You know, God is very intentional about giving people ample opportunity to respond to the everlasting gospel. One of my favorite verses, and I say this frequently because it is so important to me, but one of my favorite verses in Revelation is that at the very end, you know, you've heard me say it right before, the judgment of Almighty God is rained and poured out onto an, a, a rejecting world. Right before that, he sends an angel to fly through the heavens, proclaiming, it says, the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, people's hearts will be so hardened that many, if not all, I hope some would receive, but some will still reject it, even though God's like, I tried to get your attention for so long, and I've done so much, and here it's come. Now's the time, finally, after all of these things that have happened. And one last time, just guys, listen, one more time. Because God does not delight in the death of the ungodly. Even those who are opposed to him, God does not take delight in their death. Number two, question number two. 
They said, uh, what? The first question was, uh, when are these gonna, things going to happen? And then Jesus gives a window. Well, starting from now until the end, end um, all these things are going to happen. Don't be surprised. It's not yet the end of the world. Don't be troubled. Then he says in verse 15, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads this, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, this is a specific event that's going to happen that when it happens, it's going to be seen globally and it is going to be a huge red flag. When this happens, he tells them immediately, ASAP, get out of the city. And there was a contingency, most of, historians say, most of the Christians saw the things that were happening before Jerusalem was overthrown in 70 AD. And as the army was coming before the siege, which was horrific, if you ever have some extra reading time, go get The Fall of Jerusalem or one of those books that talk about the siege of Jerusalem. It's, it's difficult to get through the things that happened during this siege. But all the Jews rushed to Jerusalem in the fortified city, and they tried to hunker down, and then the Roman army came and starved them out. They put up, a, besieged them. And most of the Christians, there was a little break in between the army coming the first time, withdrawing, and then the army coming that really sealed down the city for the siege. There was a little piece of a period where some people could get into the city and some people can get out. And, and historians believe most of the Christians left because of these words that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 24. But what we don't have proof of, what we don't know for certain, is that this abomination of desolation took place. This abomination of desolation is somebody placing themselves or something in the holy of holies on the mercy seat where God's presence dwelt and proclaiming themselves divine deity. I am God. That is the abomination of desolation. We don't really see it completely fulfilled in 70 AD at the sack of the city. So if we don't see it specifically fulfilled, then we can look to the future and know that it's going to happen in the future. Now, I don't have time to get into the Daniel prophecy and to talk, get into Ezekiel and to talk about all how this works and comes together, but, but the reality is the whole world, we are going to be going through crazy hard stuff, and we're not to be crying and saying it's the end of the world and trying to figure things out. We just don't worry, don't be troubled. But when we see either a, an altar erected in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount where a sacrificial system will start to happen again, or the building of the temple, which they will try to put the Holy of Holies back into. When we see that, then we know that it's, it's time. It's not time to think about and talk about, is it time? It's time to pack your bags and get out of town. Not you guys. That was for the Judeans, okay? talking about for them specifically, but we will know, they will know that when the abomination of desolation happens, that now it's, it's go time. It's, it's no question, it's go time. Now, what has to happen for that to happen? I don't know if many of you know this. In fact, I was surprised that I was talking to some uh, pastor friends of mine, and they weren't aware of it, and, and I was, I, not that they should have been, but, but I just thought that it would be bigger news, I guess, you know? I was reading the news at the beginning of the year before things really went crazy or toward the end of last year, and I read this article that from the Jerusalem Post that said, um, the Orthodox Jews have been given permission 
to reinstitute the animal sacrifice and the first sacrifice on the temple mount on the altar that they had built in 2000 years was going to happen this year 2020 on the temple mount in jerusalem the only reason it did not happen and they're saying that it was going to happen 100% they said they got the green light for it the reason it did not happen was covid-19 so during the Passover was the peak of the virus, and they scratched it for another time. Listen, when, when they start to erect altars or talk about reinstituting the sacrificial system of, of Leviticus again, guys, it's not quite yet there, but we're getting, the, we're getting pretty close. Whenever we, you know the technology we have, whenever we see that the Jews have this liberty and maybe people are freaking out and losing their mind and getting upset about it, and then somebody says, you know, you can, you can have your altar and you can make your sacrifices and you can, you know, have the, the, this, this designated place in the temple or whatever they're going to do of holy of holies, and I'm going to come in and place myself in that position and say, no, you're, you're, I'm God. I'm the God that you should be following. This is going to be catastrophic for the Jewish people. It's going to be the, the, the culmination of what, what's called Jacob's trouble, which is the, the Israelites being dealt with first and the end happening very quickly thereafter. A matter of years. Now, again, we don't have much time to get into timetables. I had somebody, a brother, come up to me um, after the first service and say, yeah, but when is the rapture? Guys, this is one of the things we don't know. We really don't know. And we can pin down a few things and we can pin down a, a couple verses, but, but this is the deal. We know that we're not appointed unto wrath, 100%. 100% we're not appointed unto wrath, but we do not know when the church is going to be taken out before things get all super crazy. We just don't. Have an idea. We have a hope, we have an expectation, we want it to happen at that time. But whenever the wrath of God is poured out on the world, we know for sure, without a doubt, 100%, that we will not be around. We will not be here. And that we will come with him on the clouds for his true second coming. And that's the reality of it. The abomination of desolation. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of the house, and let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days, and pray that their flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. But when they will be, there will be a great tribulation, such as has not been since and be, the beginning of the world until this time, nor, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Now, you know that how we know that the fulfillment of Matthew chapter 24 didn't happen in 70 AD when, the, when Jerusalem was overthrown? Do you know how we know? Because there's been a lot more time that's happened. And, and Jesus says at the very end, the great tribulation is going to be so great that it's not to be compared with anything that ever happened in history again. So it couldn't have been then because we're still going through things. And look at the things that we've gone through, not just as a people, Israel, but, but Israel was in a state again until 1948. Forever, people didn't even know what it was talking about. Like, what does this mean? The Jews have been cast off. The Jews weren't cast off. The promises of God are still to be fulfilled to them. And then we have the, the nation come back and be recognized by the UN and most of the rest of the world. And then 
we have all these things that we've been through, guys. World wars, famines, bubonic plague, millions of people dying. And Jesus says, but the great tribulation, those things are going to pale in comparison to the great tribulation. For if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, the eagles will be gathered together. You guys ever seen a lightning show before? You know, like when the lightning, and, and you're with some people, and what's the first thing that you say, most people? I mean, I don't know, I think that I'm pretty in tune with people. What's the first thing you say when you see a big old huge bolt of lightning? Whoa! Did you see that? See what? The lightning, it was crazy. There was no, whoa! Right? Jesus says, my coming is going to be like a lightning bolt that nobody's going to miss. That's what he says. He says it's going to shine across the sky and everybody's going to see it and it's going to be very clear. It's not like going to be, whoa, did you see that? It's going to be like, whoa, everybody saw that. Don't be deceived. Go into the inner room. Hey, come in, come in here. Go up to this mountaintop. You know how many cults and sects and sickos throughout history have claimed to be the Messiah. There's even people who claim to be, there's, there's this guy that, that, I don't even want to get into it, man. They're crazy. Jesus says, don't be deceived. No matter what they do or some kind of fancy sign or something, don't be deceived because they're not going to be up on a mountaintop. They're not going to be hiding in a cave. They're not going to be out in the desert. Everybody's going to see when the Messiah comes. Everybody's going to see, and it's not going to be a select group. The whole world's going to witness it. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Everybody knows what the sign in heaven of Jesus' return is, right? No. I don't know what it is. But he says that we're going, not only are we going to see the sign. You know what a sign is? Everybody know what a sign is? You're driving down the road, and there's a sign. And it says, Las Vegas, 150 miles. You're like, man, I wonder how much further Vegas is. Well, this sign just told you how far it was. The answer to question number two is, Jesus says, I'm going to give you, a, I'm going to show you a sign in heaven. And, and, and the, the stratosphere, all of the, the sun, the moon, the star is going to be shaken. And then I'm going to reveal myself. And then I'm going to return in my glory. I think that we're going to be aware when he returns who he is we're not going to be having to be hiding in caves and going to distant mountains to see if it's the Messiah. But again, back to that idea of people are looking for a savior. People are looking for something that has, somebody that has the answer. Somebody that, you know what, guys? Jesus is the only one 
who has the answers. And he says, don't listen to them. Don't buy into it. Don't be deceived. Don't, think, don't be troubled. Don't worry. Because when I come, there's more scripture that speaks of Jesus' second coming than his first coming. And listen to this. I like to, I like to use this as an example. I don't know if you get it as powerfully as I get it, but I get all worked up about it. You know, you know how many times Jesus told his disciples that he was going to be crucified and die and buried and rise again from the dead? You know how many times? He told them clearly, like, all the time. And they're like, we're going to do this. He's like, yeah, but first I got to go to Jerusalem and I have to die, guys. I'm going to die. You're not going to die. Listen, I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to raise from the dead. And then what happens? Jesus dies. Everybody's shocked. What? Jesus, how did he die? And then he's raised from the dead. And then, oh, you're alive. I, I literally told you I was going to die. And then I was going to come back to life again. Like, I don't get it. You guys are kind of thick. And then for some reason, 2,000 years later, we're super much smarter than the original disciples. So as a pastor, as a student of the Word of God, as somebody who studied God's Word for most of my life, I can tell you that I'm expecting to be a little surprised at the second coming. What do I mean by, what do I mean by that? That I don't have it all figured out. I've got the nuts and bolts. I know what direction we're going. I know what I'm supposed to be doing, but it's up to Him. He's the one that's going to fulfill. I don't have to fulfill it for him here. This is how he's going to do it. He can do it. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to another. Now learn this parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves. You know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Now, this is an important verse, 33, if you want to underline it. Jesus brings back this sub-point that I've been talking to you about. What does he say again? He says, see. He says, look, keep your eyes open. I just gave you some descriptives and some imperatives. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near some people believe that the word it could also be translated he, just saying, whatever. Either way, something's near, he's near, it's coming, and it's even at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no, but by no means pass away. Probably one of the most, if not the most controversial verse, two verses in Matthew chapter 24. And this is why. Because we see a dual fulfillment of these things happening. We see that that generation, 40 years later, witnessed, witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem that was prophesied by Jesus. But since we haven't seen the totality of the rest of the things that Jesus said were going to happen, it extends to us out to now. And those are the things that I don't think anybody would disagree. Those historical events that we have also gone through in our time on, on this planet. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away. And they saw it, and he uses this example of a fig tree to throw in another illustration of when the fig tree starts to bud, summer is coming. And what are you looking at? I guess that's my question to you. 
What are you looking at? Are you looking at the structures, the buildings, the recost to rebuild after cataclysmic events? Uh, or are you looking at, at your inheritance and the promises of God that he's clearly put out for us, even in these chapters, in this chapter? As it's not about inhabiting this world. It's not about being here long term. It's about him fulfilling the promises that he made to us. And don't get too connected to this place that you're deceived into thinking that it's better here than it would be there. Because it would never be. It would never be. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But of the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. We don't need to figure it out. We're going to go through tough stuff. It's not the end. Don't be troubled. The end may be coming. As far as Jesus' return, nobody knows. Be okay with it. Be diligent to do what God's called you to do so that you are not ashamed at his appearing. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. You know what happens? Uh, They just go on with life. We're going to get through this, guys. We're going to get through a pandemic. We're going to get through the earthquake. We're going to rebuild after an explosion. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep eating. We're going to keep drinking. We're going to keep marrying. We're going to get on with our life because that's what we do. And Jesus said, that's what they're going to be doing when I return. They're going to be eating. They're going to be drinking. They're going to try to pull themselves up from by their bootstraps and make it happen and, and keep going. Then two men will be in a field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you you do not know what hour your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. You know that whenever the Bible repeats something, it means that it's really serious? And, and yet, three times, you don't know. You don't know. You, the angels don't know. Nobody knows. You don't know. And still we're trying to figure out when the end of the world is going to be. It's not so much, guys, about the end of the world as it, is, as it is about being ready for the master to return. And that's a big difference because I'm going to live my life differently with an expectation that the end of the world's happening versus my master's returning soon and I'm his steward. I've been entrusted something. And then he gives this illustration as we wrap up. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. 
Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying in coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at that hour when he is not aware and cut him in two and point him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So he illustrates his second coming with two servants. And I really believe that there's two categories of people that, like he said, there's the good steward who is ready for the master to come, so he's being diligent to do what he knows he's called to do, what has been placed. God has prepared you for this season, and you're functioning in it, like we said, and he's preparing you for the next thing as well. And then there's a servant that, that I call it the three P's, the PPP deal. You guys with me? The PPP. I've got the three P's for you in the end. That's the second servant that has the three P's. You got the, the PPP. But this other servant says that oh, his master's not coming. And, and then all of a sudden, we know what happens with the other illustration before too, is he just shows up. That verse is powerful when it says that you would not be ashamed at his appearing. What does that mean? That you wouldn't get caught doing something that you shouldn't be doing, not knowing that the master was coming. So I'm in my living room the other day, and I want to go to the bedroom for something. I can't remember what it was, so I get up and I'm walking in my bedroom. And as the presence of the master rounds the corner to go down the hallway, one of my children, who shall remain nameless, is doing one thing... The, the thing, you can have any tree in the garden. You All summer, do whatever you want. I don't care. This one thing, do not do this one thing. Do you understand? We got it, Dad. I walk around the corner. He's doing it. With his back to me, feels my presence, catches the peripheral, jumps up and goes to go sit down on another chair. I say, whoa, 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 whoa. Come here. Come here. What were you doing? What were you doing? So I was doing the thing you told us not to do. I said, why were you doing the thing that I told you not to do? The one thing. You could do anything. Why were you doing that? And he said, because it was fun. <laughs> so let's go talk about how sin is fun for a season, son. We'll have a little Bible study in your bedroom. We talked for a little bit and and... He gave me a great illustration for this, my sermon on Sunday. <laughs> you don't know. Why flirt with the flesh? Why give room for the flesh to do something when you don't know when your master is coming? Let's look at our five ways that we can see the end times coming in closing. We'll look at the five first, and then we'll look at, I know you guys are super stoked about the three Ps. So then we'll look at the three Ps. Number one, there will be global calamity and also persecution, but the end is not yet. There will be global calamity and your persecution, which you have not dealt with on any level that, the, that people have historically. And also persecution, but the end has not come yet. There will be a clear, specific sign the end, the end is here. If we're still here, which by the grace of God, we're not because the wrath of God hasn't been poured out yet. But if, if we're still here, whoever sees this sign, the abomination of desolation is going to be a clear indicator 
Las Vegas, 150 miles. I wonder how much longer it is to get to. It's, it's you know, Las Vegas, two miles or whatever. It's, it's there. You're there. It's clear. Number three, when the sign is seen, flee up to the mountains. Now, we're not talking about you fleeing up to the mountains as soon as possible. It's, it's a matter of uh, a response to the sign, right? You recognize that it's no longer, oh, there was an earthquake, it's the end of the world. Oh, California's going to fall in the ocean, it's the end of the world. Oh, it's this, it's the end. No, no, it's not a matter of those things. It's, it's a simple, it's a seemingly meaningless act. No, 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 that's a sign Get ready, be prepared, ASAP. Number four, after the abomination is the greatest tribulation. I'm not, I'm not, we don't have time to have timelines or anything like that this morning, but listen, after the abomination of desolation happens, that is going to be the wrath of God poured out on all mankind. Number five, and you won't be here for that, by the way. Take note. Lastly, Jesus Christ returns. Now, to bring this all together and to to the little application leaving, how we can identify ourselves as a faithful servant steward or a wicked, I've got the three Ps for you so we can meditate on this this week. First P, procrastination. What did the servant say? Oh, my master is a long time in coming. I've got a lot of time to do what I want to do and put off what he wants me to do to the last minute. How many of you are procrastinators? (laughs) I know, me too. Don't procrastinate in the calling that God has placed on your life because you do not know when your assignment is going to be due. It's not an email it in by midnight. You don't know when what God has called you to do and ordained you to do in this season for such a time as this, you don't know when he's going to come and require that of you. Don't procrastinate. That's what the evil servant did. Number two, pride. It said the evil servant fought and treated his colleagues badly. What is the root of anger, pride, and fighting for your own right yourself? It's pride. It's I'm better than other people. I'm not any better than anybody else. All I'm doing is, uh, is humbling myself before God and doing what I know He wants me to do. Fulfilling the calling that He's placed in my life. And then the third P, pleasures. The wicked servant sought pleasures and indulgence of the world. That's a real um, dangerous thing for we really don't like when people use this term, but I guess it's true of the global church. So this is a real danger for the American church, but it's a real danger for the, for the church as a whole to say, you know, Jesus is taking his time. We're going through this, stu- this, this difficult stuff, this trials and tribulations and stuff. We're just going to seek to feed the flesh, seek to have some pleasure in the midst of the suffering that we're going through. I don't know if you guys have heard this. I'm sure maybe you have. Alcohol sales are through the roof. Through the roof. The fallout that we're going to have because of the habits people are putting into place right now because of alcoholism are going to be seen in the next two to three years. And it's going to be devastating. Because what? We're going to die. Eat, drink, and be merry. No. It's not about the pleasures of this world. It's about having the right perspective. 
and fulfilling the call that God's placed in your life while you're here. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your clear instruction to us and your faithfulness to lead us in righteousness. That our righteousness is through your Son, Jesus Christ, and that's how we live. That's how we move. That's how we have our being. We want to find our identity in, in Jesus. We want to find our identity in the promises of your word. We want to find our identity in the confidence that we can have in you for today first and, and then for tomorrow. To know that stuff is going to happen and things are going to be difficult, but you've given us a clear roadmap of what to expect, and you tell us plainly. You say, when you see these things, give us eyes to see. Give us solidarity. Give us strength to take steps of faith out that door into the world and to bring the message of hope, to bring the message of love, to bring the message of repentance to a holy God who loves us so much that you paid the price to redeem us to have fellowship with you. Bless your church, Father, I pray. Fill them with your spirit. Empower them this week to glorify you. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray.